I raised seven and a half million dollars for Governor Ronald Reagan in the mail in 1976. If you know how to write and design and lay out a compelling direct mail piece, all those same lessons are applicable to the internet today. And I admit to you, in my salad days in Washington, D.C., when I started making a lot of money and I had a lot of political influence uh, and I was a mover and shaker, um, I moved away from the Lord. I lived as a libertine. I did crazy things. Uh, Richard Nixon is uh, my mentor. I started in politics under him. If you're a business owner today, I think you have to get involved because if you don't, you should recognize that in the very near future, you will not be allowed to own a business. In the very near future, your business will be seized. That's not an exaggeration. That is the situation in China. They want to move us to a digital currency where you have a social credit score. I am banned for life on YouTube. I'm banned for life on Instagram. I'm banned for life on Facebook. I'm banned for life on TikTok. And they never tell you why you're banned, you just are. So that's the way it is. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have a very special and exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is one of the world's leading thought leaders in the art of politics. He's a man who's helped elect not one, not two, not three, not four, but five Republican presidents. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one. The only, the legendary Roger Stone. Welcome to the show, Roger. Nikki, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me today, my friend. So, Roger, I've been following you and your work. I've read a whole bunch of your books for a couple of decades, and I'm a huge, huge fan. And one of the reasons that I'm so grateful that you um, agreed to join me here today is because I think that when it comes to politics and the game of finding messaging that wins, finding messaging that causes people to respond positively, you're without peer. And this show is dedicated to serving the people who outside of our military and law enforcement, I think are society's greatest heroes. They're entrepreneurs. They're the people who got the guts to go out there and put a vision out there and try to make it happen. And messaging, powerful messaging, is a big part of doing that effectively. So I know they're going to be excited to hear what you have to say. But before they can truly kind of get into it, they got to get to know you the way I get to know you. So tell me your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Roger Stone? Well, that's a very kind introduction, and I appreciate it. I mean, I come from a direct marketing background. So long before I was in politics, I was a direct mail copywriter, uh, and I understood uh, how to sell. In those days, of course, we had no internet, so you would sell through the U.S. mail. You would sell by testing themes, testing packages, uh, and so on. As the internet came uh, out of its in- infancy uh, into, uh, you know, fully uh, grown as the most important mode of, ed- of uh, communications today, Essentially, all of the lessons I learned about direct response, I raised $7.5 million for Governor Ronald Reagan in the mail in 1976. Uh, All of those exact same lessons are applicable uh, on the internet. So if you know how to write and design and lay out uh, a compelling uh, direct mail piece, Uh, which, by the way, would never under any circumstances be a self-mailer, which would always carry a a high level of personalization, uh, would uh, get you to open the envelope by not yelling on the outside of the envelope, this is a piece of fundraising mail. Uh, All those same lessons are applicable uh, to the internet today. The single most important book uh, 
uh, I have ever read uh, other than the Bible uh, is a book called Confessions of an Advertising Man by David Ogilvy. And although this book was published in the 1960s, everything in the book remains true today in terms of mass marketing and advertising. When a young person comes to work for me, first thing I do is give them a paperback copy uh, of this book, which is readily available online. It's one of the most important manuals. Uh, Of course, uh, anything that is applicable for the advertising of a commercial product or service is also applicable for the advocacy of a candidacy or a cause. So um, I am a veteran of 13 national uh, presidential campaigns, 12 of them for Republicans, one of them for Governor Gary Johnson, the Libertarian Party candidate in 2012, because I had such an extraordinarily negative reaction to Mitt Romney uh, that I bolted the Republican Party. Uh, Very briefly, I left the party of Lincoln, the party of Goldwater, the party of of uh, Eisenhower, the party of uh, uh, of Nixon, the party of Reagan, the party of Trump, uh, to very briefly be a member of the Libertarian Party. Uh, and then I switched back to the Republican Party uh, to support Donald Trump, who has remade the Republican Party, taking it from the elitist party of Wall Street, big business and the country club elites, and remaking it, as every Republican president has, in his own image, as the party of the working middle class. This is uh, historically not different. Every Republican president, Lincoln, uh, McKinley, uh, uh, Eisenhower, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, uh, certainly in modern times, Ronald Reagan, and certainly Donald Trump remade the Republican Party uh, in their own image. Uh, And it doesn't really matter what party elites, what the people at the leadership levels of the party think. This is Donald Trump's party today at the grassroots level. Um, And for that reason, I don't think there's any possibility uh, that he will be deterred from being the 2024 Republican presidential candidate. Uh, So, uh, as I said, I'm a veteran of the wars uh, for working first for Richard Nixon, uh, who was my mentor, gave me my start in American politics then doing three campaigns for Governor Ronald Reagan, 1976, 1980, and then his reelection in 1984, serving as a staff assistant in the U.S. Senate for Senator Bob Dole, uh, working on the presidential campaign of Congressman Jack Kemp, who was a very great man, although perhaps a flawed candidate, uh, working uh, for Senator Dole, uh, and then uh, more recently, Uh, working, obviously, for my friend of 45 years, Donald Trump. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author. I have written uh, five books. Uh, My very first book, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ, uh, obviously about the Kennedy assassination. Uh, It was turned down by six publishers uh, who told me that it had no commercial appeal. It's a New York Times bestseller that will probably end up putting my great grandson through college. So the idea that um, it had no commercial appeal was, of course, wrong. Now, that book really builds on the work of many others. In other words, I am not saying as my uh, theory, and I use compelling documentation to make my case, eyewitness evidence, fingerprint evidence, deep Texas and Washington politics, that Lyndon Baines Johnson was at the helm of a plot that involved the Central Intelligence Agency, the Secret Service, uh, Big Texas Oil, organized crime, uh, and the banks, all of whom had their own individual reasons for the assassination and removal of John F. Kennedy. Uh, And now, just in the last several days, uh, in my book, I discredit the so-called long maligned magic bullet theory. This is the idea that one bullet, bullet, hit John F. Kennedy from the rear, exited his throat, and then hit Governor John Connolly. Uh, It's both scientifically impossible and also completely illogical. The bullet would have had to change direction midstream. Never possible. Uh, But now, as you may have seen, 
an 88-year-old former Secret Service agent who was on the Kennedy detail has stepped forward, actually been reported surprisingly, shockingly, by the New York Times, which has long stood by the completely ridiculous and discredited Warren Commission conclusion that Lee Harvey Oswald, a lone nut, uh, killed John F. Kennedy acting alone uh, with three shots, all of them from the rear. All of that is wrong. Uh, but Paul Landis, the Secret Service agent, uh, and also a, a, a nurse at Parkland Hospital, have both come forward uh, to, uh, I think, add to the historical record. So the bullet found on the stretcher of Governor John Connolly, which was allegedly the so-called magic bullet that had pierced both Kennedy uh, and Connolly, uh, was in fact found in the back of the presidential limousine by Secret Service Landis, who brought it into Parkland Hospital and placed it on the stretcher of John F. Kennedy. It was witnessed on the stretcher by the nurse. I believe her name is Philip Phyllis Hines, I think. Uh, and therefore, this means, uh, if you take it in the abstract, uh, that the entire theory of one gunman is incorrect, that there were multiple shooters. Multiple shooters, of course, means a conspiracy. Now, this is not new because the House Select Committee on Assassinations, uh, which was really uh, driven very much by Oliver Stone's movie JFK, uh, already concluded in 1978 that the Warren Commission was incorrect when they said, uh, among other things, that there was no conspiracy. Oswald acted alone. By the way, the Warren Commission also said Jack Ruby, who, as you know, killed Lee Harvey Oswald before he could be tried, I had no known associations with organized crime. <laughs> ludicrous. Because, because he was a button man for Carlos Marcello in Chicago and ran a casino for Marcello, the crime boss of Louisiana and Texas uh, in, uh, in Cuba. So in any event, um, uh, my book is now more salient than it has ever been. It really, these two revelations, uh, very big in the news this week, really confirm everything I have already written, that uh, John Kennedy died of a, from a uh, domestic conspiracy. Uh, no, the Cuban or Russian communists were not involved. Uh, and uh, I still make the case that all leads point back to Lyndon Baines Johnson as the man who had the most immediate need. Uh, not only would he become president, a job that he hungered for, but more precisely, uh, he knew he was the target of two uh, corruption investigations, the Billy Saul Estes investigation and the Bobby Baker investigation, uh, and that he was going to be dumped from the 64 ticket and charged with corruption and probably sent to prison. So he acted first. Um, anyway, I invite anybody who is interested to check out my book. You can get it by going to themanwhokilledkennedy.com, themanwhokilledkennedy.com. Uh, that gets you the paperback version. If you choose to buy it on um say, uh, uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble, avoid the hardcover version because I wrote three new chapters that are in the paperback version uh, and it is much superior. Fantastic. So I read that book, Roger, and I also read the book you, you wrote about the Clintons and the Bush family as well. And um, I've been fascinated by how pre-scient your um, thinking around American politics is. So in the 1980s, you were the first person to say that Donald Trump is going to be president one day. You were one of the first mainstream Republicans to get into what the um, mainstream media calls the fever swamps of the JFK conspiracies. And you actually backed it up with a whole lot of fact-based evidence. And Robert Kennedy Jr. seems to be backing up what you wrote in your book, if, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yeah, I think essentially so. Now, uh, Robert Kennedy, who I know, not a close friend of mine, but an acquaintance, somebody I admire very much, by the way, somebody I think is making a huge difference uh, in this presidential contest. I think in the end, fairly soon, actually, He's going to conclude that the game is hopelessly rigged against him within the confines 
of the Democratic nominating process between their superdelegates who are just party elites uh, and they're rigging the campaign schedule, uh, primary and caucus schedule and the rules. So now he's told if he campaigns in Iowa or New Hampshire, uh, his name will be removed from the ballot in Georgia. Uh, how fair is that? Uh, I think he's, I think that he is on the cusp of announcing an independent candidacy, um, having had some experience uh, getting uh, former New Mexico governor Gary Johnson on the ballot uh, in 2012 in 48 states as the Libertarian Party candidate. Um, I have a lot of familiarity uh, with uh, with state law when it pertains to ballot access. Now, in all honesty, remember that the people who write the laws governing how you get on the ballot are written by Republicans and Democrats working together to make sure that they have no competition. So this process is as arcane, difficult, highly technical, expensive, and difficult as you can possibly imagine. And the states compress the time period under which you must qualify by collecting verified petition signatures into a very short time frame to make it as difficult as humanly possible. So while I'm a strong supporter of Donald Trump, and I will remain so under any circumstances, and I think I'm very confident about the fact that he'll get nominated, um, I, I like Robert Kennedy, uh, and one never knows what happens in life. Uh, I think that his candidacy in the Democratic Party has been good for America. He's raised important issues that nobody else is raising. He's really the only Democrat I can think of who uh, wants to seal our southern border. He's the only Democrat I can think of who doesn't want to give $2 billion to the, the maniacs uh, in Iran, to that regime, uh, in return for a worthless agreement that they won't pursue uh, the development of nuclear weapons. Absurd. He's the only Democrat I know who does not want to rush headlong into war over Ukraine and ship them another $21 billion that they're asking for this week. He's the only Democrat who will stand up to Big Pharma, uh, who supports health freedom and individuals making choices about their own health. So I think all those things are admirable. Um, I thought from the beginning uh, that his candidacy was, was, uh, was quixotic uh, in the Democratic Party because it is such a rigged process. I commend him for trying it. Uh, he's raised important issues, despite the very best efforts of the media to censor him, to ignore him, but even worse than that, to vilify him, to smear him. Uh, and this is particularly unfair and important, Nick, because in the one hand, the Biden administration denies him Secret Service protection for which he is legally eligible. Uh, he is a certified candidate under the federal election law, and he's reached 15% in the polls, he's entitled to Secret Service protection. His uncle was gunned down while serving as president. His father was brutally murdered while running for president on the night of his greatest triumph in the California Democratic primary in 1968. Uh, so on the one hand, the media is constantly demonizing him, telling people he's a, a lunatic, a maniac, a, a conspiracy theorist, evil. Uh, uh, and then in the next breath, they deny him Secret Service uh, uh, protection. It is truly irresponsible and outrageous uh, for, uh, for this president and this administration not to provide Secret Service protection uh, for uh, Robert Kennedy. Just on the strength of the fact that he is RFK's son and JFK's nephew, and they were both assassinated, on that alone, they should provide him Secret Service protection. If he was at 1% in the polls, on the strength of that alone, they should provide him with Secret Service protection. Well, actually, the law that allows this was passed in the immediate aftermath of his father's murder in Los Angeles in 1968. Uh, originally, the discretion went to the Secret Service, but President Lyndon Johnson, in the immediate aftermath of JFK's murder, ordered Secret Service protection for every presidential candidate, including George Wallace, including Richard Nixon, including uh, including uh, uh, Hubert Humphrey, including uh, Senator Eugene McCarthy, uh, and so on. Uh, that authority was later transferred to the Department of Homeland Security, 
because the Secret Service used to be under the Treasury Department. Now it's under DHS. And therefore, it is at the secretary's discretion. Now, uh, RFK qualifies under the current law, uh, but it is a discretionary matter. Uh, and the secretary uh, of Homeland Security has inexplicably denied him protection, uh, which would be bad enough. You're right. He should get protected if for no other reason. He's a Kennedy and there's a legacy there that is uh, uh, shameful for America. Uh, but beyond that, the media just whips people into a frenzy. And my fear is that some lunatic, some some unhinged individual is going to decide to try to harm him or even worse, kill him. Uh, and therefore, I really think it's unconscionable that they will not give him protection. Also, by the way, I recognize the politics of this. If they don't give him protection, he has to pay for protection out of his own campaign funds. That's exceedingly expensive. So it's two, it's, it's threefold. They don't want to give him protection because they don't want to connote on him authenticity and, and legitimacy as a candidate. Secondarily, they want to make him drain his campaign coffers so he can't use that money running for president. And thirdly, in my opinion, they probably hope somebody will kill him. Yeah, I, I, I think your opinion has validity to it, my friend. The Biden administration is the most corrupt administration that the United States has ever had. And that's saying something because, you know, the Obama administration was pretty darn corrupt as well. And there were some corrupt administrations in the 1800s. So I, I wouldn't put it past them, to say the no, least. You're absolutely right. Look, uh, Lyndon and Lady Bird Johnson had millions of dollars in stock holdings in Bell Helicopter, Sikorsky, General Dynamics. The, the Johnsons literally profited tens of millions of dollars uh, over his escalation uh, of the Vietnam War. That is in itself epically corrupt. Johnson took a, uh, a small AM radio station, then he muscled the FCC to give them uh, a much stronger signal. Uh, and then that radio station became the vehicle for bribes. So if you were General Dynamics and you wanted uh, a giant defense contract, you bought advertising at the radio station, advertising that probably never actually ran uh, as your way of bribing uh, Senator, later Vice President, later President Lyndon Johnson. Uh, he stands, I think, in history as the single most corrupt uh, president in our history. Uh, it's, it's far more than venal personal corruption. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a functioning lunatic. Uh, he was a pill popper. He was an alcoholic. Uh, he was a womanizer. He was a sadist. He was a bully. Uh, he was a congenital liar. Uh, and every major appropriation in the U.S. Senate in the 1950s required a payoff to Lyndon Johnson. My book is very much a personal portrait of him, as well as a blow-by-blow -blow explanation of the assassination of John Kennedy. So anyone who really wants to understand our worst president, or perhaps our second worst president, uh, should grab my book, uh, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ. Again, you can find it at themanwhokilledkennedy.com, themanwhokilledkennedy.com. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes and uh, make sure that we have everyone know that that's the place they can go to that website and grab copies of it. And I'll say this, as a man who's read a bunch of your books, um, uh, I read your book, The Making of the President 2016. Uh, I, I read your book uh, on um, Roger Stone's rules for um, how to dress for success. I, I'm sorry, I don't have the exact title correctly, but I, I read that book about three or four years ago. All your books are brilliant, and it's my opinion. Yes, Stone's Rules, that's the one. Stone's Rules, love it. Basically, how to win at politics, business, and style. People ask me how have I, I have survived uh, the onslaught of the deep state, how I survived Watergate. Uh, the answer it lies in this book. It's the second greatest book ever written, actually. The first greatest book being The Bible, which, yes, I do consult every day. You know, I uh, was originally um, baptized as a Catholic, uh, and I admit to you that uh, uh, in my salad days in Washington, D.C., when I started making a lot of money and I had a lot of political influence uh, and I was a mover and shaker, um, I moved away from the Lord. I lived as a libertine. I did crazy things. Uh, and then when I was uh, targeted by Robert Mueller, 
uh, and squeezed relentlessly to offer false testimony against Donald Trump because when they found no evidence of Russian collusion, they sought to manufacture it and have me swear to it, which I refused to do. It was at that point uh, that I renewed my faith. I went back to church. Uh, I put my fate in the hands of Jesus Christ. I confessed uh, my sins. I got right with the Lord. And I must tell you, Nikki, uh, my life has improved so dramatically since that time. I can't even begin to tell you. Now, I know that the elites over at the New York Times or Media Matters for America or Media 8 or the Daily Beast, I know they snicker at this. They think it's some kind of act or some kind of pose. Or There's Roger Stone perpetrating another dirty trick. Uh, I don't really care what they think. I only care what, what he thinks. Uh, when I was pardoned by President Trump, by the way, try to find that pardon in any story on me. Uh, it, it's very, it never happened. Uh, there's, a, there's a conspiracy at Google. But I, I received an unconditional pardon uh, in Christmas of 2020. That's because I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, I made misstatements to the House Intelligence Committee, but none of those misstatements were material. They never hid any underlying crime. I had no motive to lie. There was no Russian collusion to lie about. There was no WikiLeaks collaboration to lie about. We now definitively know that. So to be in the meat grinder of the D.C. judicial system is uh, not fun. I survived it only because of my of my putting my faith in Jesus Christ. Most people don't know that immediately after my pardon, uh, my wife, who had been my absolute rock through this entire tribulation, uh, was diagnosed uh, with very aggressive stage four cancer. Uh, the doctors were not optimistic. Um, she did, she and I did a very, very deep dive on cancer. She, in the end, selected a combination of some treatments using Western medicine, but a number of extraordinary alternative treatments. Uh, and today I can report literally as of yesterday, when she got her most recent test results back, she's over two years cancer free. So don't tell me that Jesus Christ can't do anything. He can do anything. Well, thank God for that. Uh, I commend you. Um, you. You had a service you were running on Cameo, and I uh, I purchased it at the time because I'd heard about what had happened to your wife, and I wanted to support you with that. And I know a number of other people did as well. So thank God she's doing better. And here's what I want to say, Roger, about your books. Um, your books are very well written. They're very readable. They're entertaining. They're like page turners. And they also are full of a lot of great facts. So if someone's a reader, and I'm a reader, and you like to read the entire list of books that an author's written, I recommend that you buy all of Roger's books, that you purchase them all at once and begin reading them one at a time. You'll really, really be glad that you did. He's a great writer, and he's got a lot of smart things to say. You'll learn a lot about the history of the United States and politics. You'll learn a lot about some of his rules for success, uh, which you can apply to your business. 100% uh, great value for your money and for your time. So make sure that you do that. We'll put all of those links in the show notes so that people can do that. Yeah, so, hey, look, I, I, I'm a prolific writer uh, and I, I like writing and I, and I very heavily rely on documentation of everything I say. This isn't theory on my part. I back most of it up. Now, I wrote a book called The Bush Crime Family, which shows you that I'm not a mindless lockstep Republican. Uh, the Bush family is epically corrupt. We're talking about uh, drug trafficking. We're talking about uh, uh, pedophilia. Uh, we're talking uh, about attempted assassination. We're talking about looting the Treasury in the SNL crisis. Uh, we're talking about, uh, uh, about the arming uh, of the Nazi war machine because Prescott Bush, the patriarch of the Bush family, was Adolf Hitler's personal banker. Uh, and his bank, the Union Bank in New York City, was seized by the government for those activities. And if Prescott Bush didn't belong to the right clubs, uh, he probably would have been prosecuted. After I wrote this book and I reproduced the documentation of this from the National Archives, Nikki, it's amazing. Those documents at the National Archives simply disappeared. 
they're not there anymore. Wow. Wow. So, Roger, tell me, just to delve back into history, because I've always wanted to ask you these questions. Of the presidents that you've worked with and have you've helped elect, which one are you proudest of having helped win office and why? That's a very, very difficult question. Uh, first of all, I'm often asked, who is the greatest president of your lifetime? And the problem with that is uh, I didn't know the greatest president of my lifetime or one of the greatest, but that would have been Dwight Eisenhower. Eisenhower was president in 1952 when I was born. He is very, very, very underrated as a president, perhaps because his style was so low key. Uh, but you had unprecedented peace and prosperity for eight years. Uh, you also had a balanced budget, the last president to run a balanced budget. Uh, and Eisenhower, who was a military man, uh, really turned back the demands of the military industrial complex for hundreds of millions, perhaps even billions in unnecessary defense spending, because I believed having the capability to kill everybody in the entire world one time was probably sufficient, that you didn't need to have the armaments to kill everybody in the world eight times. So he was a very great president. Obviously, I did not know him. Uh, Richard Nixon uh, is uh, my mentor. I started in politics under him. Uh, I did not get to know him in 1972 when I was the most junior member of his staff. I got to know him extremely well in his post-presidential years uh, when I went to work for him, uh, helping him run some political chores, uh, vet invitations, carry some messages, and so on. I have great affection and admiration for his resilience uh, and his persistence. He refused to be destroyed in the, up until that time, the greatest scandal in American political history. Uh, he gets no credit for his great accomplishments. This is the man who reached a strategic arms limitation agreement with the Soviets. This is the man who unilaterally saved Israel from annihilation in the 1973 Yom Kippur War over the objections of Henry Kissinger, over the objections of the Joint Chiefs, over the objections of the Pentagon. Uh, this is the, the man who desegregated the U.S. public schools. Uh, this is a man who appointed more African-Americans to federal office than LBJ and JFK combined. Uh, this is a man who gave us the war on cancer. This is the man who gave us federal uh, revenue sharing. Uh, this is a, a tremendously successful presidency. Uh, yes. and, and he gets criticized today, I think unfairly, for the out reach to China. And I think this is important. When Nixon decided to, to uh, reopen our relations with China, China was a dirt poor, completely broke, backwards agrarian society with no technological or nuclear capability, to say the least. They didn't even have telephones. Uh, there was no way for Richard Nixon to know when he brought the Chinese out of, in out of the cold in order to play them off against the Russians because they share a common border and a long history of distrust to get a strategic arms limitation agreement. When Brezhnev started to go cold on Nixon, he let he let uh, Leonoid know that he had a new best friend called Mao Zedong. And suddenly the Russians warmed up and we got an agreement. So uh, there was no way for Nixon to know that 30 years later, uh, the Bushes would give China most favored nation trading status that's what made them the economic powerhouse they are today. And then the Clintons yes. would actually sell them our, our most important military secrets, including the technology which we use to target our intercontinental ballistic missiles in return for illegal campaign contributions. So the Bushes and the Clintons weaponized China to be the threat that it is today. That can in no way be considered the fault of Richard Nixon. I agree. Um, all the accomplishments that you outlined uh, that Richard Nixon had are, are bang on. And he didn't just desegregate the public schools. He, he, he basically went after official government uh, segregation and racism with the full power of the federal government to an extent that LBJ, JFK, 
nobody else had remotely considered. And what he did in, in uh, the Yom Kippur War was nothing short of heroic. I think Richard Nixon is possibly the most accomplished American president uh, ever. Um, brings, us, brings us, of course, to Ronald Reagan, who I served in three presidential campaigns in 1976, 1980, and 1984. Um, he was also very great, but very different than Nixon. Nixon was very hands-on, very detail-oriented, uh, a micromanager, if you will, whereas Reagan was more like Trump. He was a big picture man. He knew what he believed. He knew what he didn't believe. He was, as a former actor, uh, very focused on that role as president because he understood that the way the president acts, the way the president is seen, the way the president talks inspires the nation uh, and bolsters the nation. Uh, you know, when he was at the end of his second term, he was asked in an interview whether he thought the fact that he had come from the world of entertainment, that he'd been an actor rather than coming up through the chairs of politics, had been detrimental to his presidency. And he said, you know, boys, I don't think a guy who was an actor, an actor could ever do this job. So he, he understood that very important role of being the nation's cheerleader, the nation's uh, the nation's protector, uh, and uh, how always being seen as strong, always being seen as resilient, always being seen as confident, even when the country had problems. Uh, he rebuilt our military strength. Uh, he took down the Soviet Union. Uh, he he toppled uh, the Berlin Wall. Uh, he uh, presided over the uh, reunification of Germany. Uh, he is, without any question, uh, very great. But as much as time as I spent with him, I spent a great deal of time with him and uh, with uh, Nancy Reagan. I never felt like I knew him the way I knew President Nixon or the way I know President Donald Trump, uh, which uh, leads us to Trump. Trump is a He's a natural phenomenon. He's a force of nature. He is. Uh, he's not a politician. He hates the idea that he is seen as a politician. He's a, the head of a political movement, but he will never be a politician. Uh, he is unmanaged. He is unhandled. He is unpackaged. Uh, what you see is what you get. Uh, he is his own man. He makes his own decisions. Uh, he will certainly always listen to advice, but he has no obligation to take your advice. He will sometimes ask for advice and then go do the exact opposite of what you might recommend. That is his prerogative. Uh, what we're seeing now could be the greatest single political comeback since that of Richard Nixon. Nixon, you will recall, was uh, defeated by a hair in 1960. I make a pretty comprehensive case in my book, Tricky Dick, the rise and fall and rise of Richard M. Nixon, that Nixon was robbed of the presidency despite a series of mistakes in the 1960 election. Still think he was robbed of the presidency. Uh, but uh, he then disastrously, in order to try to keep his political brand alive, ran for governor of California in a, uh, an ill-fated campaign. He was defeated uh, in that race. He was thought to be entirely dead, finished, washed up, a national joke. And then uh, really because of the assassination of John Kennedy, because of the assassination of Martin Luther King, because of the assassination of Robert Kennedy, and because of the disastrous policies in the Vietnam War, a path was opened up for his return to the presidency. And I, I agree with you. I think he is one of the most uh, consequential presidents uh, in our history. He will never be given that credit. Uh, he has been so completely typecast as a villain he maintains, in, even in the polls today, uh, he's exceedingly uh, poorly rated uh, by those who don't really want to look at his record of accomplishment, but are hung up on the, uh, the propaganda of Watergate. Remember, at the time of Watergate, there was no internet. There was no alternative media whatsoever. We had three networks. We had two or three major news magazines. And if they were against you, and they were, uh, you had no platform to punch back. You had no platform to, to, uh, from which to launch a counter-offensive, and therefore Nixon goes down as vilified. Uh, I'm hopeful that over time, historians will look back at his actual accomplishments and see uh, how much he did for peace and prosperity and equality in this country. You're right, Nick. He, he, inc he increased 
ninefold the funding for civil rights enforcement at the U.S. Justice Department. He tripled by three times uh, funding for black colleges. Uh, he founded founded the uh, the Office of Small uh, of Minority Business Enterprise, which gave low interest loans uh, to minority business owners who started businesses, you know, in our inner cities. Uh, he he really championed black capitalism because he understood that a rising tide lifted all boats. Um, he will get credit for none of that because when you bring up his name, uh, the answer of the liberal elites who control the media is simply Watergate. Tricky Dick, Watergate. Well, because we have alternative platforms today, like the internet, like uh, conservative media, like our mutual friend Wayne Allen Roots, uh, Real American's Voice TV, like Roger Stone's podcast and radio show, I think this is slowly changing, slower than I would like. But I know a lot of um, people who over time are starting to give Richard Nixon a second look and give him more credit. Um, there's folks who 10, 15 years ago would have said exactly what you just said. Now, oh, yeah, Watergate guy, you know, tricky dick. He, he was corrupt and whatnot. And then they, they start to get a hold of the historical record and they see that that's not necessarily the case. If you read um, Conrad Black's books about Richard Nixon, he makes the case that, in his opinion, Richard Nixon is the single greatest president outside of Abraham Lincoln that the United States has ever had. And his victory in 1972, despite the fact that, um, you know, the big three television uh, networks were against him, was nothing short of astounding. And the reason he won is because he had such an effective presidency and the average man uh, was clear that Nixon was one of them and for them. And, and it was a beautiful thing. So many Democrats endorsed Richard Nixon in 1972. I think the mayor of Philadelphia, who was a Democrat, like came out loudly for Richard Nixon. And, and I read somewhere that he said it was the first time he'd ever voted for a Republican in his life. But he felt this was too important for him not to do that. And what, what was his name? Uh, Frank Rizzo. You speak of Mayor Frank Frank Rizzo. Rizzo, former Frank Rizzo. Philadelphia police commissioner, a Democrat who ultimately turned Republican. By the way, uh, within the last year, the statue of Frank Rizzo that was outside the Philadelphia City Hall has been removed and put into storage. This is a cancel culture writ large. Yeah. So I think there's a more important, larger theme here, which is the people and the institutions involved in the murder of John F. Kennedy, because he had a deep distrust of the intelligence agencies. He'd been lied to them in both the Bay of Pigs matter and in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, he favored tax cuts when they didn't want to cut taxes. Uh, he was for a silver-backed dollar, which uh, the international banking community was opposed to. Uh, he was uh, for a massive defense buildup. Uh, I, I think those uh, who conspired to murder him, all of whom had their own reasons, are the same people who feared Richard Nixon's reorganization uh, of the government uh, in the wake of his 72 victory. If you look at his biography, if you look at the biography of his chief of staff, H.R. Bob Haldeman, uh, he was planning to take power away from the Central Intelligence Agency, went away from the NSA, where he viewed it as being in the hands of unelected bureaucrats uh, and return it uh, to elected officials. Uh, and uh, that's why he was ultimately removed in a silent coup. We now know, based on documents only recently declassified, the Central Intelligence Agency knew far in advance of the plans to break into the Watergate. Uh, they infiltrated the burglar team at least four of the eight Watergate burglars were still on the payroll of the CIA, were still reporting to their case officers. Uh, the Watergate break-in was purposely bungled uh, to bring down Richard Nixon. I think originally the goal was not to bring him down, but to, to bring him to heel. Uh, but things got out of hand, uh, and the, the press was so uh, uh, vituperative 
against him, going all the way back to his successful pursuit of Alger Hiss, who was a, uh, we now know that the Soviet Union has fallen, and we have the KGB records, who was uh, a Russian spy, Mr. Nixon said he was. So, uh, but that take, that direct line goes to those who tried to move remove Ronald Reagan for Iran-Contra, uh, the same people who tried twice uh, and now a third time to destroy uh, Donald Trump. First, actually four times. The Russian collusion hoax, which we now know was indeed a hoax. Uh, impeachment number one, impeachment number two, uh, and now this unbelievable tsunami of lawfare in which Trump is charged with the crime of questioning the outcome of the last election. Now, based on my reading of the Constitution, whether he's right or whether he's wrong, by the way, is immaterial. He has an absolute right to question the anomalies, irregularities, uh, and outright fraud surrounding the 2020 election. That's That's not criminal. That's not seditious. It's not treasonous. It's his absolute constitutional right. Now, he lost a political contest, uh, but I don't think there's any question that there is no crime here. Again, prosecutors in Washington and in Georgia, uh, partisan prosecutors, claim that he knows in his heart and his mind that he lost, but he sought to illicitly hold on to power. Uh, It's called mens rea. I'm not an attorney, but I've read about it extensively. I'm not sure how you can know Donald Trump's mind. Their position is, well, the head of the CIA, the head of the uh, Department of Homeland Security and your own attorney general told you you lost. Therefore, you were supposed to believe just because they said it that you lost. And the fact that you refused to believe it shows that you're lying and you really knew you lost. And therefore, all of your maneuvers uh, were illicit or seditious. I don't know how they will ever his state of mind. Uh, the indictment in Georgia is is an abomination. Uh, it's an abortion. Uh, the obviously, and I don't, I'm not a lawyer, but in the courtroom, I think Trump's best defense is to present the truth. If he can present evidence of election fraud, both nationally and in Georgia, I think it shows that he his efforts in those areas were perfectly legitimate uh, and perfectly legal. Uh, we'll see if that happens or not. Well, Roger, um, it's my opinion that this is banana republic shit. Excuse my language. We don't normally swear on this show, Um, but that's what it is. I'm from Iran, and when I was 11 years old, there was the first election, and I put that in air quotes, for president in the newly founded Islamic Republic. And my father took me with him to the uh, polling uh, station. There was a big young man dressed in uh, Islamic Revolutionary Garb uniform with a Heckler and Koch G3 uh, assault rifle in his hand. He stepped forward aggressively toward my dad, pointed at him and said, give me that. And that was the ballot took it from him, marked it, stuffed it in the box and said, you can go now. And my father looked at me and said, son, we're going to leave Iran eventually and we're going to go to a country where this sort of crap doesn't happen. And to my absolute shock and chagrin and surprise, this happened in the 2020 election. The type of shenanigans they undertook in the six states where Donald Trump was leading on election eve, and then there were these massive vote dumps of 100% to zero for Joe Biden, was exactly what the regime-favored presidential candidates would do in Iran, and I never thought it would be allowed here. And this whole uh, lockdown BS was weaponized against Donald Trump, and this is the one thing I fault him for, for not seeing that this was part of their plan and taking steps to make sure that it couldn't happen um, and they used it to allow for, you know, ballot boxes where you don't actually have to show up in person to vote. And it just made it easier for them to instigate a steal. In the long run, the only way to ensure any election is going to be 
a safe election is to make sure that someone has to show up in person, show some ID and vote. And it's insane. As a, as a brown Middle Eastern man, I am deeply offended when white liberals, who are the true racists, come and tell me I'm too dumb to get ID to go vote. I got to get ID to do everything else in this goddamn uh, society we live in. But I can't get ID to go vote. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the idea that it's somehow racist to require a photo ID. We require one to get on an airplane. We require one to buy a pack of cigarettes. We require one to buy a firearm. Why would you not require one uh, for someone who wants to exercise their right to vote? You want to be able to show that you're really who you say you are. Look, uh, ultimately, and I don't know that this is going to happen, but we need to return to paper ballots. Uh, These machines are easily manipulated. They're not supposed to be centrally linked to a computer system, but in many cases they are. Uh, If France, which is one of the most dysfunctional countries in the world, can process 38 million paper ballots in one day, then we surely can do it here. Uh, I also think elections should not take a week. They should take place on one day. We shouldn't still be trying to collect election results two weeks after the election. Uh, I'm against mail-in voting. I think it is an open invitation for fraud. When I visited uh, Las Vegas prior to the last presidential election, a man came up to me at a a speech I was making. He showed me five individual mail-in ballots, all of which had been mailed to different people at his home address. Only one of them was him. And I said, well, who are these other people? And he said, well, I checked. They're all people who rented my apartment before me, and they have either left the state or they've moved elsewhere or they're dead, but they're still maintained on the voter list. So if this man had been dishonest, he could have cast five votes. He knew that was illegal, so he only cast his own vote. I think in his case, he actually showed up in person rather than mailing in a mail-in ballot. So um, I think we have to have these kind of election reforms, but I think that is not going to happen uh, unless Donald Trump is returned to the White House. The Democrats made their very best attempt to federalize the entire election apparatus uh, early in Joe Biden's term. They failed only because one senator wouldn't go along, strangely enough, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, but they came very, very close. Uh, When Trump says this is the final battle, he's absolutely right about that. Uh, They will move heaven and earth to try to defeat him. Uh, But as counterintuitive as this is, uh, strangely enough, the more they attack him, the stronger he gets. Uh, That's true in several cases. One, in terms of his ability to raise the tens of millions of dollars that he needs to run from small and medium-sized donors who give over and over and over again. Secondarily, uh, in terms of his poll ratings, which in the 45 plus years I've been in American politics, I've never analyzed numbers like this. He continues to gain uh, and his support has a level of intensity, a level of loyalty that even the great Ronald Reagan, one of our most popular and beloved presidents, never had. So um, he's going to be the Republican nominee. Uh, He has an excellent chance to be president. There are many, many, many hurdles without question. Uh, but I, I really still, I pray for it, and I think it is going to come to pass. I agree with you. Uh, Roger, so I did an episode, a solo episode, a few weeks ago, where I said that I don't believe people can stay on the sidelines as business owners. It used to be that the advice given to you, if you own the business, is never talk about sex, politics, or religion. Never, 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 because you're bound to offend somebody if you do that. And yet, I think in 2023, you need to talk about those three subjects. You need to let people know where you stand on the issue of politics. Are you for those who are for tyranny or are you for those who are for freedom? You need to talk about religion. You need to be saying, I'm for people who believe in freedom of religion and and, and living a godly life, or I'm for people who are all about destroying all that. And you need to talk about sex. And by that, I mean, you need to be talking about, hey, I'm somebody who is tolerant of everybody and whatever sexual orientation they have, but I'm absolutely opposed to having it shoved down little kids' throats. And if you don't do that, you're part of the problem. And I'm just wondering what your take on that is. 
look, uh, if you're a business owner today, I think you have to get involved because if you don't, you should recognize that in the very near future, you will not be allowed to own a business. In the very near future, your business will be seized. Uh, you will no longer be allowed to sell uh, services or goods or whatever business you are in. That's not an exaggeration. Uh, that is the situation in China. They want to move us to a digital currency uh, where you have a social credit score, which means when you go to the gas station or when you go to a grocery store uh, and you put in your government approved card, um, they will let you make purchases or not based on uh, where you're going to church or where your political contributions are going or uh, any other personal information. So um, that is not a draconian. It's not it's not to some conspiracy theory. Um, there's no question that there are globalist billionaires uh, like uh, like Bill Gates, uh, like George Soros, like others who really admire the Chinese model, which is a model in which there is no personal freedom. There is no freedom of free enterprise where everything and everybody belongs to the party. That is really inalterably where we're heading. Those are the stakes in the next election. This is not like uh, 1960 when John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon were both ardent anti-communists. They were both capitalists who believed in the free enterprise system. They may have had different views uh, on spending and taxes. Uh, their views on defense uh, and foreign policy were actually quite similar. No, I think the Democratic Party, the old Democratic Party of Harry Truman, of, uh, of, uh, of John F. Kennedy, has been taken captive by a radical socialist, nay, Marxist uh, minority. Uh, there is no room for moderates in that party. There's no room for those who are pro-free enterprise or pro-capitalism. Uh, and the Republican Party has been remade, as I said earlier, from the party of Wall Street and the party of wealthy elites to be the party of the working class, the party of basic America first values. So uh, that's really how I see it. Nick, this has been great. I apologize that I need to move on down the road, uh, but I'm very, very grateful for your invitation. Roger, thanks for coming on the show. And if folks want to buy your books or otherwise engage with you and engage with the Roger Stone uh, brand, as it were, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, if you go to stonezone.com, stonezone.com, you can see uh, on that platform my daily uh, net-based show at stonezone.live. You can also just go to stonezone.live. It appears on Rumble, uh, Twitter live streaming, Telegram live streaming, and various other uh, places on the Internet. Uh, you can also listen to my WABC radio show every Sunday afternoon between 3 and 5 p.m. Eastern by going to wabcradio.com. Uh, but those are the best three places to go. If you want to help my family and I, because we're still being harassed in 11 uh, baseless, meritless harassment civil lawsuits filed against us by leftists, lunatics, uh, crazy people, uh, Democrats, oh, wait a minute, I'm being redundant. Uh, you can <laughs> go to uh, stonefamilyfund.com, stonefamilyfund.com, and God will bless you for it. Um, because we lost most of our insurance, we also have to pay for some of my wife's medical expenses there. Fortunately, not all. Uh, but, um, you know, look, I'm very heavily censored. Yes, I'm back on Twitter, now known as X, and I'm grateful for that. And I went from uh, 900,000 followers when I was first uh, banned in 2017. When I was uh, reinstated, to my surprise, uh, the reinstatement came to me as a surprise. I had 25,000 followers. I'm now just under a half million. Uh, hopefully, wow. it's the half million point this weekend. You can follow me at Roger J. Stone JR uh, at, at that location uh, at Twitter, now known as X also on Truth Social, but there I am real Roger Stone. That's because some squatter owns Roger J. Stone Jr. So I can't have a universal handle. Now, this is important. There's a Roger Stone who's popped up on Facebook. It is not me. It is not me. I've said on Twitter, I've said on Truth Social, it is not me. 
uh, this whoever is uh, posing as me has gone from a handful of followers to 5,000 last time I looked. Um, I have lodged a complaint with Facebook, but since I'm not on Facebook, perhaps they don't take my complaint seriously. But the person on Facebook claiming to be Roger Stone is most definitely not me. Now, whoever this is, is taking material from my Twitter feed, my X feed, and posting it uh, on Facebook, which gives it a greater look of credibility. But I assure you, it is not me because I am banned for life on YouTube. I'm banned for life on Instagram. I'm banned for life on Facebook. I'm banned for life on TikTok. I never tell you why you're banned. You just are. So that's the way it is. We'll make sure that that's highlighted, Roger. God bless you. Listen, what you uh, have done in your career is absolutely astounding. And it's my opinion that people can learn from you. Perhaps your next book ought to be about how to take some of those principles of direct response and apply it to business or maybe even have some sort of a Roger Stone online course about seven tips on how to raise money for your next project or things like that because you're brilliant, my friend. The world is a better place because Roger Stone's in it. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, Nick. And thanks for inviting me. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.